Hi, this is Unsuitable with Mary V. Seyfried, the podcast where I interview single Christians about their lives and faith. Oh, hello. Today's episode features Norma Hopcraft. Norma is a published author who recently took a creative writing sabbatical year in Paris, where she wrote The Paris Writer's Circle. Then she lived in Barcelona. Now she lives and writes in Brooklyn. She was a newspaper and corporate journalist, then a magnum cum laude graduate of New York University's undergrad creative writing and literature program. She's been published by the literary magazine South Dakota Review and won first prize from Deadly Inc. for a mystery short story. In this episode, Norma talks about finding her why for writing and defining success and prosperity. Get excited because Norma has a wealth of experience and insight on the creative life, particularly for those of you who are side hustling. So here we go. Hi, Norma. Good afternoon, Mary B. Thanks for being here. Welcome. It's a thrill. Thank you for inviting me. Absolutely. Um, uh, where, if you'll share with us, um, so the listeners have kind of a can picture uh, what's going on, where uh, geographically are you recording from? Right. I, I have an apartment in Brooklyn, and I'm usually there. But in the COVID-19 pandemic, I am in Rochester, New York, in the Great Lakes region of New York State, and uh, living with family hiding out from the COVID bug and uh, living with family. I'm very blessed to have this option. Very, very blessed. Yes, absolutely. And you're with your uh, your daughter, am I right? My daughter, my beloved son-in-law, and a two-and-a-half-year-old who is just a hilarious little grandson. I'll bet that is wonderful medicine um, yes. in, these, in these times. Yes. For it sure. cracks up at this funniest... Things you wouldn't expect it. He laughs at the way his father reads books. <laughs> he cracks up. It's it's a lot of fun. Oh well, that sounds very lovely and peaceful. Um, and I'm glad you were able to kind of find a space that is a respite for you. Yeah. In this time, um, I'm wondering if um you would give me kind of a snapshot of your creative life right now. It's a it's an interesting time to be uh, creative, but you um, are also juggling a day job as well. So I'm yes. just curious as to um, what your creative life is like right now. Well, um, my creative life has always been a juggling life, mm. except for a one-year creative writing sabbatical that I was blessed to take in Paris uh, a couple Mm -hmm. of years ago. Mm -hmm. Then I did not have to juggle. All I had to do was write and take my work to fabulous critique groups in Paris. And I sat in cafes, critiqued each other's work. And um, uh, I I had a tremendous critique opportunity there. There was three or four groups, all of them with talented critiquers. Uh, I I have not been able to find as beneficial a group in New York City, to be honest. And, uh, mm. But I just juggle onward. Um, I have a full-time job writing for a nonprofit, as well mm-hmm. as managing their planned giving, managing their bequests, handling the estate paperwork that comes through. Mm-hmm. And um, 
I juggle family now because I used to be on my own in my own little studio apartment in Brooklyn. Now mm-hmm. I'm juggling family, cooking, cleaning, <laughs> you know, <laughs> doing my share. So, um, yeah. Juggling is really the watchword for me throughout my entire <laughs> creative life. Yeah, well, that's, um, I think, probably very um, relatable for many creatives who are listening to this. Um, and especially you being, um, you know, having the parenting obligation on top of that. Or I guess I should say parenting joy. Yes. Um, <laughs> which I'm sure it's a little bit of both. Um, but to have all of that to kind of try to manage um, without, you know, the kind of consistent partnership of a spouse, I'm sure that that is quite a bit to juggle, it sounds yeah. like. Yeah, I was a single parent my, uh, from the time my children were six and three. So, um, mm-hmm. yeah, I was juggling single parenting work, an hour and a half commute each way into New York City each day. Wow. Um, and then of course, maintaining a home for them and shopping, cooking, laundry. Yeah. Um, Mm. I've been busy (laughs) and I've also, but I've also managed to finish, um, several things. There's, I have three books out on the web on Amazon, Mm -hmm. one of them written while I was in Paris. Mm -hmm. And, um, I have, um, a book of essays that's nearly ready to go out and a memoir that I'm in the middle of, and um, and then I'm working on a novel set in Brooklyn. The title's so good, I can't share it. Okay, well, I will not ask you to. I know how uh, important it is to keep those kinds of things close to the vest until it's time to share them. Yeah. Um, wow, it sounds like you've really been able to, to do some work um, as you've been juggling all of this stuff. I can't even, um, imagine I have a hard time and I'm not juggling, you know, children or anything like that on top of, um, my creative, um, endeavors. So I'm really, really pleased that you've been able to get some of your beautiful words out into the world. Yeah. One Um, of, one of my key words has been sits plots. Um, I am a a German American descent Mm-hmm. And um, I studied German in high school, and mm-hmm. a, an important word is sitzplatz. And what it means is sit down in the chair and stay there until you've produced something. So um, mm-hmm. I've been using that as a, a word for m- many, many years, and I think it works. Yeah. So I would love to hear a little bit about how you got into writing. Did you go to school to be a writer? Was there a clear moment of calling for you? Kind of. How did you get into it? Um, I believe that I, I know that I wanted to be a writer as soon as maybe the third sentence that I ever read in a little primer began to make sense to me, see Mm -hmm. Sally run. And I was like, wow, fabulous. These little black marks on this page are making a moving picture in my head. Um, I thought it was total magic wanted to be a writer and give that gift back almost immediately. But I had many detours, many mistakes, many toils, dangers, snares, uh, Mm -hmm. which I've used all of them in my books. And um, um, I finally got back to writing when uh, my children were small and I decided to apply for a reporter's job and Mm -hmm. got it, started reporting, loved it. It was really a wonderful job. 
And um, then I went on to write newsletters and news for corporations. Mm -hmm. And in the midst of that, I said, I am meeting fabulous people. Their voices are so interesting. Their perspectives are so interesting. Mm -hmm. I think I'm going to start writing character sketches about some of these people. I'm going to start putting them into a story. And Mm -hmm. I began dreaming of writing a novel. And somebody said to me, and I didn't question it really that hard at the time. I questioned it later, years later, in my dark night of the soul. Mm. But at the time, a friend said, if God has given you the dream of writing a novel, um, then he must have also given you the ability. Mm. And I ran with it, and (laughs) the rest is history. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. So... uh when your friend said that to you, how long um, did it take for you to actually bring that to fruition, bring a novel to fruition? Uh, I, I worked on a novel probably beginning in 1992 or three, about mm-hmm. a year after the divorce. And um, um, I think it took me about seven years to finish that first draft. Mm-hmm. And then I started another and then I went back to school, and I completed that novel as my part of my senior project mm. uh, for my creative writing d- degree at NYU. Mm-hmm. And um, then the book came out just in 2019. Or, yeah, 2019. So those books were in a draw for about 20 years. And when I went back to look at them after having written many other things, I said, wow, not too bad. So, uh, <laughs> hey, that's great. If you yeah. can look at your early work, I am learning to be a little more graceful towards my uh, early work, but there are moments when I read it and I'm like, oof, mm. that's, uh, yep, I, I read that. I um, went back, I enjoyed it, I improved it, and I put it out. That's amazing. I love that. You spoke a little bit about, you know, kind of your dark night of the soul moment. Um, would you mind walking us, walking me through kind of what that looks like? Yeah. Um, I'm sure it's, you know, we talk about self-doubt here a lot, and I'm sure that there was a ton of it in that time. Yes. Um, well, you know, I began writing novels after the divorce. Um, I really wanted a relationship, and it became obvious to me after several years of going to church, thinking I might meet somebody that Sunday and being disappointed over and over and over again, I began to realize that, hey, it might not be in the cards for me, mm. might not be in God's plan. Um, so I said, well, I have all this time, I have all this energy that I don't put into a relationship with a man. Um, what, what, what am I going to do with it? And, you know, the dream of novel writing had been circulating in my brain, and I began to work on it. Um, At the same time, I realized that without a financial partner, um, I was going to have to take care of myself financially. And so I think maybe just a bit, unfortunately, I linked my dream of writing a novel and having it, you know, really bless my readers. I linked that dream with financial remuneration at some point. Mm -hmm. And um, that, that dream really gave me quite a buzz, a lot mm-hmm. of energy. It helped me. It helped me sit down, do my sits plots, mm-hmm. get a lot, of, you know, write good stories, 
do lots and lots of reading of classics and write, reading more about how to write good stories, character arcs, character mm -hmm. development, mm -hmm. um, you know, the questions of good and evil, love and hate, all the things that go into writing a novel that has some bearing on the truth. Mm. And I did all of that with the hope that my books were going to make money. Mm. And um, I, I wanted two things out of my books. I wanted critical acclaim and I wanted popular acclaim. And I defined that as, you know, people saying, wow, this is great. And mm -hmm. people buying it like crazy. Yeah. And, you know, filling up the coffers that I don't, didn't have a partner to help me fill up. Mm. And, um, so I, I, I brought my books out in 2018, 2019. I hired a digital marketer. I invest, I first, I researched her. I felt I had done my due diligence and she did everything she said she was going to do. Um, but the, the only problem was that, um, the book did not launch into a, the fabulous fabulousness that I wanted. Mm. I made sales, yes, but it didn't go crazy like Fifty Shades of Grey. Mm -hmm. And I invested to the, um, enough money. I was careful. I watched my expenses. I did mm -hmm. a lot of the work myself. I got real smart on a lot of digital stuff that I never wanted to even learn, but I learned it anyway. And um, after about a year, I had to reassess. Mm -hmm. I had to reassess what I was investing in marketing. And when I paused and did that, um, I began to feel very disappointed that my dream of financial success, my American dream of being able to quit my job early and retire and write full time, mm. all those dreams were not coming true. And of course, I got mad at God. <laughs> mm -hmm. That's my default thing, you know? <laughs> And, um, I, I distanced myself. I said, you know, you're supposed to be a helper. You're no help. I mm. said, um, you've promised prosperity in the Psalms to those who follow you, who obey your precepts. I've done all that. Um, you're not blessing me. This is the way I want to be blessed. And you're not blessing me that way. Mm. Therefore, what good are you? Um, yeah. there are a lot of questions, a lot of deep probing. It was, I spent months kind of in a pit months mm. and finally i talked to a friend about it and uh she said you you actually was a therapist and you know she's got fabulous insight mm. and she said you need another divorce in your life norma you need to divorce your writing from the financial success mm. um and so i did that i unhooked the two and then i had to rethink um, why do I write? If it's not for the money, why do I write? And I had to go through all kinds of questioning and uh, I'm just coming out the other side of all of that. Mm. Um, I don't, I don't think we ever completely resolve every issue, you know, mm. it kind of hangs on, but, um, yeah, I, um, got really bugged with God, but I, I did learn a few things from all that thinking and journaling and pondering. I learned some stuff. What would you say was your, like, number one takeaway of what you learned? 
Well, you know, I kept accusing God, you know, I've obeyed you. I felt, you know, you you owe me a bit, God. You owe me mm. the blessing that I have been working toward and waiting for. And I, I want to add one other thing about what I had been longing for, and that was huge sales, a gazillion people buying my books so that mm. I would feel loved, mm. so that I would finally feel the self-doubt trickle away. I would finally feel affirmed. I would finally feel completely loved, completely accepted, completely affirmed as an artist, as a human being. Um, I was longing for that. So what stands out to me and what I learned from all this thinking and listening to other people is that um, God, you know, he doesn't define prosperity the way a 20th century American does. Mm. The Bible talks about prosperity as, you know, in the first century, I mean, if you had a couple goats and a couple chickens, you were prosperous. Mm -hmm. um, the Bible doesn't say you're going to have a villa on the Italian Adriatic, mm. look, you know, to be <laughs> able to write looking over the blue water. Yeah. Um, so that's, you know, that's one thing I had to, drop that expectation let go let go of those big american expectations um mm. the other thing i learned is that what god wanted me to do was not feel loved because people bought my book but to feel loved because he loves me mm. and um to know that i'm enough not because people tell me i'm enough but because god tells me i'm enough God told me I'm enough when he died for me. Um, he said I was that important and that mm -hmm. worthwhile, and I don't need giant sales. I, you know, it's not a need. It's my, what I need is more God, mm -hmm. more, more sense, more awareness of his love, more walking in grace. That's what I really need. Yeah, it brings up something that I think is, I mean, something I certainly wrestle with. And it's, you know, why, why do we do what we do? And why do we write? And yeah, when we do the work that we do, you know, there's a lot of disappointment that can come if we're not, you know, as we kind of discover those, those kind of underlying motives. I know for me, um, you know, my definition of success is, um, you know, the kind of what you're describing as well is the, the selling out, you know, all of the copies of the book and getting the New York Times bestseller list or, or whatever. And everyone saying, this is the best thing that's ever been written. <laughs> um, and it's right. like, but really, you know, I think there's also that question of, well, why? Why is that? What, why is that success to you? And it sounds like, you know, for you going through this process was, was learning to focus on, um, I don't remember who said this, um, but kind of writing to feel God's favor. Yeah. You're thinking um, of chariots of fire and that missionary who ran. Yeah. 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 And he said, when I run, I feel God's pleasure. Yes, yes, yes. You're right. Yeah. Um, but for writing, not running. So writing out of delight as opposed to writing from a place of striving and proving, I think, yeah. is a really, really hard mindset shift. Yeah, exactly. So I, I've been debating, you know, 
why why do I why should I continue writing if it's not to provide for myself in my old age? What am I going to do? Why should I write? And there's a lot of reasons. One is that when I'm writing, I'm more alive. I'm paying mm-hmm. more acute attention to what's going on around me. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm I'm picking up all kinds of sensory details, smell, sight, sound, in order to be able to reproduce it on the page and um, to capture it for my readers and use it again in an artful way. And um, it makes me more alive. It's brought me in contact with glorious people. Um, In 2011, I took a bus around the country Mm -hmm. alone, um, interviewing people in 20 cities over Mm -hmm. the space of seven weeks asking them what was happening to their aspirations, what was happening to their hopes. That was Mm -hmm. in an economic downturn back then. And of course we have another one now with COVID, but um, Mm -hmm. I met beautiful people who were so happy to help me, not expecting anything from me. They just wanted to help me by telling me what they were thinking and feeling. Mm -hmm. And um, then I went to Paris and um, met, lived with French people, chez famille, and, um, we meaning meaning in their family Mm. and um that was a glorious experience as well and i would never would have done either of those things if i weren't a writer they've taken it's taken me on adventures it's made me more alive and there's Mm -hmm. another reason um i've been through many many ups and downs as i mentioned earlier made a slew of mistakes learned Mm -hmm. from them thank god and um what I want to do now is not hammer a sermon home on anybody. Mm. Do not want to do that because my audience is more non-Christian than Christian. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what I feel called. I feel called to reach them. And they are like canaries in a coal mine. They smell a sermon and they run like cr- crazy. So yeah. I have to go at it in a much more indirect way. I have to show um I'm using my life in my memoir. I'm showing the things I did, the decisions I made, why I made those decisions, um, the results, and mm-hmm. um, how God picked me up off my butt. And um, um, there's a verse that makes that energizes me. It says, um, "Make known among the nations what He has done." So there's been mm-hmm. so much healing in my life, and I'm still waiting for more healing. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But um, that's the purpose to write now is to make known the Lord's, what the Lord has done. That's a lot of really great stuff that you've learned. Uh, Hard won wisdom, as as I've heard it put before. Um, I mean, I write Christian nonfiction, so I have a little bit of, you know, license there to mm-hmm. um, bring Jesus in because um, it's in the genre. But, you know, I still think there's a way to um, approach uh, bringing our faith into our art um, in a oh, way that, as you said, is not going to send people running because they're like, oh, my gosh, this, here comes another whatever. Yeah. And there's there's also the fact that when, are you, when you're a writer – what you truly believe shows through in every sentence anyway. Mm. So um, for non-Christian audience, I, I don't have to blare it from a rooftop. It's, it's there. It's embedded. Mm. It's taken me a long, long time to learn to trust that 
Mm. But I am determined to trust it. <laughs> what I believe yeah. is showing through. It really it is. Yeah, it's kind of that idea of the the overflow of the heart, right? Um, yeah. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And, you know, with everything, I have a mixed motive. Um, there's always a mixed motive. Um, I want to show people what God did in my life in spite of my rebellion and in spite of my foolhardiness, strong-headed willfulness. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to show God, show people what God did in my life. And you know what? I'm also an entertainer at heart. I want mm-hmm. to take people, say, come with me on this journey. Mm-hmm. Um, you're going to enjoy it. It's going to take you away from your troubles. You're going to enjoy my character's troubles or my troubles in the case of the memoir. And uh, it's going gonna, it's gonna to take you away from your own problems. And uh, we're going to have a great, great journey together. So that's my mixed motive. I really do want to give people the pleasure that reading has given me. Yeah, I think, too, there's huge value in the entertainment um, and escapism factor. Um, I think that even just for the sake of, you know, a really well-crafted story, uh, enjoying a craft, a well-crafted story is um, a beautiful kind of practice to have. Um, but I think there's also value in um, reading memoir in reading fiction because it just it takes us outside of ourselves and it's um, I think Tolkien talks about this in one of his essays of just like how we're able to um, be outside of our world and immersed in another world and that kind of give us us a different perspective on our own world and our own lives. I think reading is just about the most important thing a person can do. Mm. I know too. I say it as a reader as well as a writer, um, and as you know, um, understanding and being able to reflect on the value that really good stories um, have and the impact that they've had on me, um, even in like being a child and helping me process emotions I didn't realize um, that I was feeling or looking for or finding companionship I didn't realize I was looking for um, was it's a really powerful thing to Mm. be able to kind of be immersed in that kind of a story. Yes, I agree. And find, I find companionship in writing, in the writing process. Um, Mm. I become my own best companion as I, you know, spill out on the page as the writer, as I go back and edit and with my editor hat on, um, as I take it to critique groups and make friends there, it's, it's given me a, a wonderful community and a, a companionship with God as I ask him for help mm. and with myself as I, as I write. It's a, it's a, yeah, it's a way of having companionship. Mm. Yeah. I think too, I experience, uh, I mean, you know, when I'm writing <laughs> selflessly, um, which does not necessarily happen as often as I would like, but I think I feel also a companionship with the reader um, as I kind of try to, as I write from my perspective, but then reading back, trying to think, well, I mean, for nonfiction, um, you know, thinking about what does my reader need to hear today? Um, what is my reader struggling with that I can address today? Mm-hmm. Um I think there is also that sense of companionship um, in what is a pretty lonely 
job. Yes. Yes, it is. And um, brings me back to my thoughts about longing, you know, the longing for the book to do well, books to do well, um, longing for companion to remarry. Um, mm. I, I, God has not brought what I wanted, but he has taken care of me. I can testify to that. Mm. Um, I have a wonderful, a wonderful job writing for a great nonprofit. I am now with family in Rochester, um, escaping a hotbed of COVID infection in Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I think the human heart is even designed to long. You know, we long for God. We long for our heavenly heavenly home. Mm-hmm. Um, I do want to get back to um, a little, a question that I have. It's, a, I guess, kind of a craft or a practice question about your um, sits plots. Um <laughs> When you sit down, when you zit, as it were, um, <laughs> um, do you do you experience? Is there a wrestling that you experience as you go to write, or do you find that you know your brain's able to kind of switch into writer mode? Is there any kind of preparation, mental preparation that you do, um, a prayer or any anything like that? I, I would love to hear just kind of. I mean, yeah. it might depend on the day, but maybe generally speaking, what that experience yeah. is like for you. Sure. Um, I've been writing f- novels, poems, essays, screenplays, and nonfiction for 30 years. So every day is different. But um, I do find um, that if I'm having a problem getting into the work in the morning, what I really can do is switch to free write. Mm-hmm. And free write is just, I just open a document and keep my fingers going on the keys. Or mm-hmm. you can open up a journal and keep your pen moving across the page. Don't pick the pen up. Um, just when you, when you get to the end of a thought, if you don't have another thought to take its place, just say word, 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 word. Mm-hmm. And um, develop, this is a great way for developing your own author voice also. Mm-hmm to free write for 10 or 15 minutes before you start. And that for me usually gets any kind of kinks out of the system and gets me, gets me flowing with the work again. Hmm. Do you find, um, do you, well, you write fiction, so I'm sure there probably is a difference, but you're writing memoir as well. So maybe there's some overlap here, but do you find um, that you have kind of a sense of, what is maybe inner facing writing and outward facing writing, like mm-hmm. writing that you need to kind of do for yourself. I don't know if you process kind of emotions and events and stuff through writing um, or journaling or anything like that um, versus what you're going to put into a book or what you're going to put into an essay. Yeah. I think that's a great way to, a, a great way to name it um, inner facing writing and outer facing writing. I did um, not come up with it. Um, <laughs> I think that I heard it from either Michelle Couchat or Emily P. Freeman or both just to, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, or Beth Moore, maybe. Yeah. I don't know. Just to throw some accreditation out there. That's yeah. not a Mary B. original. <laughs> credit where please, credit continue. Is due. please continue with your thought. Yeah. Well, thanks for giving credit where credit is due. We, we should all do that. Um, but um yeah, uh, I think my journals are not for publication. Um, sure. They would not interest 
really anybody. Same. Um, yeah. <laughs> but I do, I do write, as somebody said, I have no idea who, I write to find out what I'm thinking and feeling. Hmm. So that's what my journals uh, end up being quite full of and quite full of devotion and asking God to help. I need help in every realm of my life, I think. Mm. And um, um, yeah, but that's not what I think people is going to, was going to carry them away from their troubles and mm. take them on an adventure with me. So it's different. Right. right absolutely. Um, and it is kind of that, I don't know. Um, in my early days of writing, I don't know that I, it's a blurred line in some regards, I think not journaling versus what I'm going to share, but like when I sit down to write a blog, for example, you know, what, what is my intent with that particular piece? Am I like externally processing something that I really should not share yet? Um, am I like trying to make myself look a certain way? Um, just those kind of little other motives. Um, those are think, all incredibly important questions to ask. Yes. Yeah. They, I don't know that I like necessarily a- answer them accurately all the time, um, yeah, but know. you know, um, but they are really important things also, I think to consider as well. I mean, there I've learned that over the course of the, I guess, two years that I've been writing seriously at this point. Well, Norma, I have a cu- just a couple more questions okay. for you. Um, first is, how can we support you and where can we find you? Uh, you mentioned you have uh, three books. And yeah. um, how, where can we get those? Yeah, you can just Google. Uh, you can just put me in the Amazon search bar, Norma Hopcraft. It's spelled mm-hmm. exactly as it sounds. Hop like a frog and craft like arts and crafts. Mm-hmm. But, and um, yeah, the three are there. Two are sort of um, romantic mm-hmm. suspense. My genre is romantic suspense. Mm-hmm. In um, they're set in noir, central Jersey, where I lived and was a reporter for six years. Mm-hmm. So I'm drawing on experience there. Mm-hmm. The other novel is the Paris Writers Circle, and I wrote it while I was in Paris for a year. So um, it's about four writers who don't like each other. And they critique each other's work, and then they start to get to know each other. And what happens then? Oh, interesting. So, what does happen? <laughs> I, we will have to read and find out. <laughs> yeah. um, awesome. Well, I will put a link for that or the information of how to find that in the episode description. So it's nice and easy for people. That's uh, nice. I know that this is is a a great time to be reading fiction for sure. Yeah. Um, and. Last but not least, will you tell me one thing that's hard right now and one thing that's great? One thing that's hard is my little two-and-a-half-year-old grandson. Um, I try to get up early and do my quiet time with the Lord and start writing before he gets up. But Mm -hmm. I have to walk past the door to his room, and the floor creaks. Mm. And um, he wakes up. Mm-hmm. And so that leaves me with a real quandary for finding some quiet time to yeah. write. Um, the mm-hmm. great thing is my two and a half year old grandson, he mm-hmm. gets up early. We spend quiet time alone together down in the playroom. We build all kinds of things. And um, 
he has a way with words. I think he's a budding wordsmith, and we have a. Mm-hmm. He makes me laugh, and uh, he's a really a riot, a laugh riot, a lot of the time, <laughs> not all the time. <laughs> <laughs> I would imagine, as a two and a half year old, that it would be a mixed bag. Yes, it's mixed, but it's mostly great. <laughs> Oh, well, that's really great. Well, Norma, you would like to sign off with a poem. So yeah. I would love for you to um, tell us a little about that and, and okay. share it. Okay. Um, you know, we've been talking about longings of our hearts, and I think that God respects them. Um, he does give us what's best for us, not necessarily the, the specific that we think we absolutely must have. Um, it's best to ask him to fulfill his will for us, I think, in that there is freedom. Um, and, um, I just want to mention that, you know, Buddhism says don't want anything. And I never found that to work with the human heart. It's just not the way we're built. We yearn, we long, and, um, that's the story of our lives, what we, what we yearn for, long for, work toward, what we're disappointed by, what we pick ourselves up and do, go on to do anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, so on Pentecost Sunday, in my Episcopal service, which I love the Book of Common Prayer. Mm, me too. I grew up Episcopalian. Ah, uh, there you go. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, in the Sunday service for Pentecost, uh, the last lines of uh, our last hymn that day was about yearning and longing. So I'd like to close with that. Um, It goes, And so the yearning strong, with which the soul will long, shall far outpass the power of human telling. For none can guess its grace, till it becomes the place wherein the Holy Spirit makes his dwelling. Mm, Love that. So that's what God does with our longings. I think it would become a place where the Holy Spirit does great work. Well, that's a beautiful send-off, Norma. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you. It's been a pleasure to talk with you. You can buy Norma's books on Amazon by searching for Norma Hopcraft. And you can find her at inyeagerhopcraft.blogspot.com. If you're a single Christian creative looking to refocus on your calling alongside a group of companions, I have something special for you. It's a six-week group coaching program called The Creative Refresh. You'll learn the essential elements of sustainable creativity as a single Christian, connect with a group of humans in the same boat as you, and walk away empowered to serve God right where you are and for the long haul. Registration opens August 11th. For more information, head to marybesafer.com backslash group. Thanks for listening, and thanks to Norma. Content editing by Katie Hodge. Sound editing by Andrew Kim. Theme music by Chad Rollinson. That's all for now. See you next time.